This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Demarest, CPA with Parmelison Associates. This week, we're going to be talking about the ERTC or Employee Retention Tax Credit again. A couple of months back, I talked about this, did an episode on this, but it's been getting so much interest lately that I felt like I needed to do this again. It's probably the number one question I've gotten from my clients over the last couple of weeks. Even other shops that, you know, I just email back and forth with of saying, hey, I've heard about this. You know, I've had another vendor tell me about this. I heard it on the radio. I got an email. Can you kind of explain what the ways are, how they're trying to do this credit? And another thing that's really brought this to my attention is, you know, a lot of my team has been in tax seminars this past week. The number one topic is this employee retention tax credit and the IRS's uh, recent focus on this credit and abuse that is going on. Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Why wait until the end of the month for your account to tell you how things turned out? With advanced analytics, you can compare any metric anytime so that you don't need to guess. It's all part of shopware.com. In today's world, managing the labor side of your business is more important than ever. Utilizing their industry-leading software, Labor Profit Management, Repair Shop of Tomorrow can help shops maximize their profits by developing a specific plan for each client. Please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. Before we get into kind of, you know, what's been going on with some of these uh, companies coming out and hearing the ads on the news and the scrutiny on this and kind of a little bit of the drama around this credit, I want to just do kind of a quick recap of what the ERTC program is and essentially the two distinct ways that you can qualify for this credit. There is two ways that you can qualify for this credit, the first of which is very straightforward. That is a revenue decrease. The second one is what's been in the news recently and what a lot of these companies are trying to do, which is arguing a full or partial shutdown of your business. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, Hunt, I don't qualify for either. My revenue is up and I never had to shut down like almost all shops because you're essential service businesses. But let's kind of just take a step back here and quickly talk about the revenue decrease side of things first. The revenue decrease is pretty easy and we handle these for our clients. If our clients show the revenue decrease, we go ahead and do the credit for them. There's nothing to worry about. Very straightforward. Or if they have someone else do this credit for them, which is fine. Also, I tell you, if you can meet these statutes, then do this. It's a really good credit. You can make a good bit of money on this and you have nothing to worry about. So how do you know if you qualify for the employee retention tax credit based on a revenue decrease? So there's really three distinct ways. Um, It depends on how old your business is and what year you're looking at. So the first one that came out is the employee retention tax credit for 2020. So the way that you can qualify for this credit for 2020 is you have to show a 50% or more revenue decrease when comparing a quarter of 2020 to the same quarter in 2019. All right. So you need to be 50% down in sales in a quarter of 2020 compared to the exact same quarter in 2019. Now it's not any three month period. It's literally the calendar quarters. So January through March, April through June, et cetera, et cetera. Now we did not see very many people qualify for this credit for 2020. You have to be down 50% in sales. And that's just really, really a large target. And honestly, most people weren't even close to that. 
The only people that we had to qualify for this in 2020 was either gas stations. You know, we still have a number of gas stations that we work with um, and gas stations were really severely affected by COVID. People stopped driving, right? And if your volume goes down, your sales are just going to get, you know, crushed. And we did this for a number of those shops. Another thing is we had some people where maybe in 2019 and before they had two locations, still all under one entity. But by the time 2020 rolled around, they only had one location. Even though that they, you know, the location that was still open the whole time was still there, by losing that one location, they were down to 50%. You know, so if you're multi-location and you actually decrease your locations, it could work as long as it's all under one entity on it. Now, for 2021, it's the same idea. So we're comparing a quarter of 2021 to the same quarter in 2019. Quarter two, quarter three, quarter four of 21 compared to 2019. Now, 2021 was a lot more common for people to qualify for because you only had to show a 20% revenue decrease. So for example, if you had $100,000 in sales of 2019 and in the same quarter of 2021, you had $80,000 or less, you qualify for that quarter. Now, you need to be down these requisite numbers for the first quarter. The calculation gets a little bit tricky on how much you have to be down to continue claiming this for multiple quarters, but we're not going to get into that today. Um, and if you remember, I said that there was three ways, right? Depending on what the time period and how long you've been open. So 2020, down 50% compared to 19. 2021, down 20% compared to 19. The third one is if you have a startup business. So if you have a startup business where you started your business, you know, essentially in 2020, there's another way that you can qualify for it. It's a little bit tricky. I don't want to get into it on here because I think it'll kind of cloud the other things that we're trying to talk about. But if you started your business in 2020, I would probably just talk to your accountant to see if you can qualify as a startup on this. Um, it's nowhere as big of a credit as some of these other ones. But hey, who's going to kind of argue with some free money here? You know, overall, what I always tell people here is, hey, if you have the revenue decrease, don't even think twice. Do this credit. It's a great credit. It's going to be money in your pocket. Hunt, how much are we talking here? This credit can actually be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on how many employees you have, which quarters you qualify for. Essentially, the maximum that you can get is around $7,000 per quarter per employee. Now, 2020 is a little bit lower on this. But if you have, let's say you qualify for the second quarter of 2021, you have 10 employees, the max that you could get is $70,000. Now, the maximum amount of quarters that you can qualify for is six. So do the math on this. You know, this can be a really big credit, which is why it's had so much scrutiny, not only from the IRS, accountants, but also businesses out there trying to jump on this and get their share of this money. That being said, let's get into the other side of this credit. So the other way that you can qualify for this credit is the IRS has said, hey, you can still qualify for this even if you don't have any revenue decrease at all. And the way that you would qualify for this is to argue that you had a full or partial shutdown of your business. Now, you might be thinking, well, Hunt, what auto repair shop is going to qualify for this credit? We were never had to shut down. We were deemed essential service. What they're arguing is not that the business was completely or even partially shut down. Most of the time, what these companies that are doing these credits are arguing is a kind of lesser known fact originally. Now it's a very widely known aspect of this, but it has to do with supply chain interruptions. 
So the basic idea behind this is I have a shop right now, right? And I'm looking and I'm saying, you know what? I don't qualify for this credit. My sales were up 5% for every single quarter for 20 and 21. This company has been emailing them. I heard this company on the radio say that they can get this credit for me. I call them up and what they explain to me is they say, Hunt, even though your sales were up 5%, did you have issues getting parts? And I, just like most shops out there, think to myself, well, yeah, you know what? There was a couple months there and maybe it's still hard for me now to get some oil filters, right? I never had any issue getting oil filters in the past. And there's some stuff that I just can't get right now, right? On the collision side, we saw a lot of work getting backed up, you know, part shortages and stuff like that, that aren't something that we normally have to uh, deal with. The big thing here has to do with, you know, kind of the finer details in this, because there's not a quantitative amount. It's not like saying, hey, did your revenue decrease by X amount in this service category? Were you not able to get this part? The IRS has been somewhat clear about this, but they have been vague enough that it's created this whole nother industry for these companies to come and try and sell this service to you. So let's talk a little bit about these companies that are offering this. When a client calls up and they say, hey, Hunt, I don't qualify by the revenue decrease. Will you guys do this for me? Claiming supply chain interruptions, part shortages, full or partial shutdown. And I tell them no. We as a firm do not offer that service. I've done a ton of research on it and I did not feel comfortable offering this to my clients. Now, what we have out there is a lot of vendors that have are doing this on a percentage basis. And so what they do is they'll reach out to people or get you know other vendors to recommend shops to them. And usually the arrangement that they have is they go, they review down your sales, they review what you have going on in your business, and they see if they can qualify for you for this credit for one or up to six quarters. Now, miraculously, almost every single shop that I have seen talk to any of these vendors, right? There's so many that are doing this. All of them have qualified, right? And that's what they've emailed me back and they say, hey, Hunt, they said that I qualify for this. Now, what I've had to explain to people is there's no sort of official checklist on the IRS on who qualifies and who doesn't. Really, most of this is the honor system of saying, hey, I qualify for this credit, so I'm going to go back and amend these payroll tax returns and pick up this credit and let them know that I'm claiming this credit on the employee retention tax program. It's not like something where you go down through, you have to prove this, you have to answer questions, you have to submit it to the IRS, nothing like that. So then this is what this company goes down through is they calculate the amount of this credit. So I just was talking to my client the other day and the company went down through and they calculated his credit. He's got a pretty big business and he's going to get about $300,000 from this company. Well, not from this company. They're going to do it and get it back from the IRS. And so his fee for that is 20%. What's going to happen is he's going to ultimately get, well, hopefully, but he'll ultimately get $300,000 from the IRS, of which he owes $60,000 to this company. Now, general rule of thumb of most that I've seen is 20 to 30% of the credit is what these companies are taking. Um, you can kind of do the math here. This is a big business. There is a lot of money to be made here. And that is the first word of warning that I give to people is all of these companies are doing it on a percentage basis. If you get more money, they make more money, which is fine, right? It's, you know, essentially similar to the flat rate system that a lot of you pay your technicians on where you're creating an incentive environment where it's like, hey, if you win, I win. Now, the dark side to this is, do you think that someone is going to be able to go down through with in an objective manner 
and say, does this business qualify or not qualify? Knowing that if it doesn't qualify, they make nothing. And if they do qualify, they stand to make tens of or maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars. So right off the bat, there's an immediate conflict of interest. There's an immediate something that's going to make me probably second guess this a little bit here. Hey, am I getting the full truth? Are they giving me the full advice here, knowing that they stand to make a ton of money on this? And also you got to think of, of, hey, who recommended this company to you? Are they getting a cut of this as well? You know, this has turned into, you know, probably at this point, a billion dollar business of companies that have started up just to do these credits on this. And it started to make me a little bit nervous. A couple months back, or probably even more than that, probably sometime last year, I went down through and I took a look at this. Because let's be realistic here. We are already doing one portion of this credit and we make decent money on this. Now, we don't do anything on a percentage basis. We have a flat fee that is much, much, much lower than what some of these other companies are offering because we're only doing this for our existing clients. So we're doing it to really cover our cost. It does take a little bit of time to calculate all this information and put it into a spreadsheet, you know, and we need to get paid for our time. When I kind of looked at what some of these other companies were charging, I really did the math for not only my own business, but also my shops. I said, hey, this is something where I could get, you know, realistically tens of millions of dollars from my shop. And probably if you're doing even a smaller percentage than what they're charging, I would stand to make a couple million dollars in just fees for doing this. But when I started to do more research on this and read down through the tax law and read down through some of these documents that the IRS has released, and as far as question and answers to clarify some things, the ultimate conclusion that I came to was that I do not feel comfortable offering this to my clients. And I've told people that, and I've had some people be disgruntled. Well, hey, hon, I'd rather you guys do it than some other company. And I'd have to tell my client of, you know what? I just don't feel comfortable with this. Um, notoriously, we're pretty aggressive in most of our tax stances. But when I read into this, I could not with a straight face go and say, all right, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I did this credit for you. You're going to get $120,000 from this and you have absolutely nothing to worry about. For most people, there is something to worry about. When you started in this business, did you really think that cars would be driving themselves and that people would be buying cars online without test driving them? I don't think any of us did, yet that's exactly what is going on. On the repair side, the auto industry is changing fast. Customers expect quick answers and proof that they need the repairs that you recommend. They want to pay you while buying a coffee, then rate you on Yelp after picking up their keys. So why stay in a past? A shop owner named Carolyn asked herself the same question, so she created an online shop management system that automates the stuff you do over and over again. She and her team added texting in every step in the process from booking your appointment to posting that stellar review. They learn from their customers just like you learn from yours. And it's the system that's leading the industry into a bright future. Find out more about this and other things at GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, the focus is on helping shop owners unlock their full potential by specializing in an expert coaching and marketing program designed for your specific shop. Their mission is to coach the owners to focus on growing their bottom line and building a team culture within their business. At the Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed program, they train the owners and the staff what right looks like, so everyone is on the same page and driving towards a common goal. Their coaching program focuses on all aspects of your business so that the owner can step back from the daily grind and start to work on their business and not in their business. 
For more information about their programs, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. Now, we're going to kind of get into a couple different things here. And then to ultimately wrap this up, I'm going to have kind of my thoughts on it and the advice I've been giving to people. You know, the short answer on this is I'm not saying that it's an automatic yes or an automatic no. Where I feel like that I fit into this is it's my job to explain from a complete third party, a complete independent source, kind of the positives and negatives, the risks and rewards of this program so that you as a business owner, as a shop owner, can make an educated decision on your own, right? I have some clients that say, hey, Hunt, if there is any sort of legality on this, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to get this money. And I have other people that are a lot more risk adverse and they say, you know what? I did pretty well on PPP. I got a lot of money. I don't need to push my luck and I don't want to kind of, you know, lose any sleep at night looking over my shoulder. Let's start first off the idea behind what they're claiming here. All right. Yes, you are essential service, but we are going to have a uh, reduction in our sales or potential sales because of supply chain interruptions. What I want to do is I want to kind of do some little light reading here. And this is an official Q&A from the IRS. I'm actually going to put this link in the show notes. If you have time, if you're really bored and you want to go down and read this stuff like I have, um, I'll share all this stuff in there so you can see where it comes from. One of the things here is they go down through and the question is, if a governmental order causes the suppliers to an essential business to suspend their operations, is the essential business considered to have a suspension of operations? Remember, because it's not necessarily your business is suspended, but if other businesses in your supply chain are suspended that's affecting your business, you could qualify. So the example that they give is just this. Now, it's kind of funny because it's a similar industry, not exactly the same. Example is employer A operates an auto parts manufacturing business that is considered an essential trade or business in a jurisdiction that it operates. This is talking about auto parts manufacturing, but auto repair shops are also essential service. So this is very close to us right now. Employer A, supplier of raw materials, is required to shut down its operations due to a governmental order. Employer A is unable to procure these raw materials from an alternate supplier. As a consequence of the suspension, Employer A is not able to perform its operations. Under these facts and circumstances, Employer A would be considered an eligible employer because its operations have been suspended as a result of the governmental order and the suspended operations of its supplier. A bit of a tongue twister, right? The IRS never writes anything that's super easy to read here. But essentially what they're saying here is, all right, the employer was not partially or fully shut down by the government. However, their supplier was completely shut down. And that was allowing employer A to not be able to form its operations. Now, the key things here that I want to mention is this was not, hey, the supplier has started to slow down. The supplier was having some issues getting stuff. The supplier did not you know, properly stock and has a longer lead time because of shipments from out of the country. What they're saying here is the supplier was actually completely shut down. And I can't stress that enough. This is not a little bit. This is not, hey, it was getting harder to get. This was a complete, the supplier is done. They're not getting anything. So the example that I can give in something like this is, let's say that you're a tire business. You get all of your tires from ATD. ATD had a monstrous COVID outbreak and they had to suspend all of their operations for an entire month or maybe two. All of your tire deliveries were suspended. You had no other place to buy from. 
and in turn, you would be affected in your business. Now, that is an extreme example, but that is also kind of the example that the IRS has laid out here. And I don't think that there's very many people that could argue that that happened to them. First off is, you know, the way that the laws worked in the U.S. is suppliers to essential service were themselves deemed essential service. So we didn't see really any of these major shutdowns like they're talking about here. Another thing is, as they mentioned here, that you were not able to get this stuff from an alternate supplier. So even if this case is, let's say that ATD Tire did completely shut down, we all know that there's other tire suppliers and tire wholesalers that you could get your product from. Is it as good? Maybe, maybe not. Do they have the same brands? Maybe, maybe not. But it is not something where you had no other option other than to sit there and twiddle your thumbs. The IRS's example of supply chain interruptions is not supply chain slowdown. It is not making your life harder trying to find this stuff. It's that it's not possible. The faucet is completely shut off. You don't have what you need to be able to do your work. Now, this other one doesn't really have anything to do with supply chain interruptions, but is kind of more of what I call background information. And what I mean by background information is a lot of times these tax laws are written very kind of tricky to read. And what I really try to do is I try to read into it a little bit deeper and say, all right, what was the IRS's ultimate goal here? What was their objective by writing this? And what is kind of the, you know, motive or, you know, idea behind what the IRS is trying to reward or, you know, kind of implement here? So this next example is actually, they gave us one that is an automotive repair business. And I've actually seen this argument exact opposite get argued by one of these companies trying to do it for my client. And I actually sent them this and said, hey, you know what? You can argue a lot of things, but what you're trying to argue here is actually completely wrong. And the IRS gives us a very clear example. Employer B, an automotive repair service business, is an essential business and is not required to close its locations or suspend its operations. Due to a governmental order that limits travel and requires members of the community to stay at home except for certain essential travel, such as going to the grocery store, Employer B's business has declined significantly. Employee B is not considered to have a full or partial shutdown of operations due to a governmental order. However, Employer B may be considered an eligible employer if it has significant decline in gross receipts. And so what they're saying here is that they're saying that, you know, a governmental order that limits travel requires members of the community to stay at home. I've also seen this clarified where they talked about, hey, if you had to change the way that you did business with mass or contactless delivery, it wasn't a full or partial shutdown. It was a difference in how you had to do work and maybe more of conditions of the time that we're in. So essentially what the IRS said here is that you could only be or it says you may be considered an eligible employer if you've had significant decline in gross receipts. And again, significant is actually a quantitative number. When they talk about significant decline in gross receipts, essentially what they're saying is, hey, you do not qualify for this this part of the qualification. You actually need to satisfy the revenue decrease. So a lot of this stuff is it goes back down through and it says, well, you know, unless there's an official shutdown as your supply chain, the only way that you can get this is to show that 50% or 20% decline in revenue. This stuff is right from the IRS here. So this is already kind of raising my alert. And when I read down through this, I said, you know what? People are reading between the lines here, but this is not something that me or my firm kind of feels comfortable getting involved in. This next thing, I've actually an excerpt of this guy that I read some of uh, his information. 
This is actually repair driven news. I think it has to do with only auto repair and the collision side of it. But again, you know, this company that they hired went down through and analyzed the same tax laws and they came up with a, a very similar argument. What they said and kind of, you know, their analysis of this and just a quick quote from them is just because you can't get a part doesn't mean you qualify for supply chain disruption. You have to be able to demonstrate that your vendors themselves were either fully or partially shut down as a result of their compliance with the COVID mandates. So what I caution a lot of body shop owners right now is that, yes, it's hard to get parts, but it's not hard to get parts because of compliance with COVID mandates. It's hard to get parts because there's a semiconductor shortages. There are supply chain snafus due to demand issues and planning issues. They're kind of going back to what I said is, hey, it's not because, you know, the supply is very low and the demand is high, just like a lot of other things in our market. The IRS doesn't care about that for this credit. They want to see that this supplier was full or partially shut down because of a government mandate. If it was not, do not pass go, do not collect $200. It is not, you're not going to qualify for this credit. The last thing that I want to kind of share on here is what the IRS has come out. And so, like I said, is, you know, I've kind of already went back on what these argument of these companies are, are kind of doing here and why I didn't feel comfortable enough to doing this and what I've kind of been cautioning my clients about. The last one on here is, you know, when we're sending in these amended uh, tax returns, specifically amended 941s, the first kind of round that we went down through was taking a little bit of time, but generally about three months, the IRS processed the amended return and sent my clients back their money. About a three month, 90 day turnaround time was generally the norm, you know, probably about a year, year and a half ago when we started doing some of these credits. As of right now, I'm saying probably nine to 12 months is realistically the turnaround time of the IRS. There is so many people doing this credit um, and the IRS is already backlogged as it is. And thirdly, they're very slow to send back money versus try and collect it. So that lead time has really ballooned. And now we're looking at about nine to 12 months. But what we've also been starting to see is the IRS sending out something called IDRs. Client goes and they qualify for this credit or they feel that they qualify for this credit. They submit the amended tax returns. And what the IRS is sending back is these nice little love letters or these IDRs. So what an IDR is, is an information document request. And essentially what the IRS is doing is, hey, before we process this 941, to give you all this money back, we would like to know a little bit more about, you know, how you calculate this credit. You know, there's specific things on how much an employee can work, the relationship to owners, how you figured out how much this person is paid, how you averaged out this pay amount, how you did it as compared to the PPP loan forgiveness. And then ultimately, hey, how did you qualify yourself? Was it a revenue decrease? Was it a partial full shutdown of operations? Give us some more detail on this. So these have really only been starting happening in the past couple of weeks or really even month here that we've started to see the IRS start to push back on this and start to ask more questions. And like I said, this is the big thing in the tax and accounting world right now is, hey, the IRS has notified a lot of people that, hey, we're going to be taking a lot more scrutiny into this because we feel like that there is a lot of abuse here. The reason that this is happening is because you can't go anywhere without seeing this. You know, companies are doing radio ads, companies are doing billboards, companies are doing direct telemarketing to businesses and shops trying to get them to pick up this credit. And, you know, just because you've seen it doesn't mean the IRS hasn't. And I think that's probably a lot of the reason why they're doing this 
It's everywhere, right? Hey, don't think that anything that you've read is wrong. You could still qualify for this credit. Not only do I think that even on the onset of this, the position that a lot of these companies are taking was shaky. Now we know that the IRS is putting even more scrutiny into this. And the last thing that we want is the IRS poking around in this credit. Or even more particularly, could it turn into an audit where they're looking at more aspects of my business here? This is probably, you know, a bit maybe conservative, a bit of doom and gloom, but I really don't think it is. You know, I think that you as a listener, you as a business owner here kind of deserve to understand exactly what it is that you're signing when you're sending out these credits. And this is kind of the general spiel that I've given to most of my clients. Am I saying do not do this whatsoever? No, I'm not. I know that there's a lot of money on the table. At the end of the day, there's probably realistically still a very, very, very low chance that the IRS ever looks into this. And again, the way that they wrote these laws is very vague. And I think that a lot of people have a legitimate argue on this. I was just talking to one of my clients the other day, and um, he actually does own a tire business. And there were lots of shortages. It was very hard for him to do business. Now, he was not down to requisite sales decrease, but I think that he had a lot of arguments there on why that he would kind of qualify for this credit the other way. Did they have complete shutdowns of his suppliers? Maybe, maybe not, right? And it's very hard to kind of figure that stuff out, but it definitely materially affected his business. Now, his business was not down 20 or 50%, but awful lot more than it could have been. And so just like a lot of deductions out there, you know, I always want to have a defensible position. It doesn't mean that it's rock solid and there's no way that's ever going to get thrown out. I have my argument. The IRS has my argument. At the end of the day, they might like it. They might not. What I tell people is, hey, if you're dead set on doing this, I probably wouldn't be laying awake at night wondering when the IRS is going to come knock on my door. There are so many people claiming this credit. The IRS is so underfunded that the majority of people are never going to hear anything about this and probably get their money on it. That being said, the other side of this is just that. Do you think that it raises your audit risk when the government sends you back $150,000? Of course, right? The government is probably going to want to check on people that they've sent a large amount of money to a lot quicker than people that they haven't had to send any money to. So this is going to raise your audit risk. Another thing is here is, like I said, is, hey, this doesn't necessarily have to stop at the employment tax issues. They could also say, you know what? We flagged this and we want to look at your entire enterprise and everything else that you have going on. And so really what you need to sit down and you need to think about your own risk threshold that you have. And I talked about this very early on in this episode, and it's something that I cannot answer for you. I can't answer for any of my clients because I don't know what you're comfortable with. Like I said, I have some clients that are on the extreme edge of risky tax positions and they say, Hunt, I'm not going to do anything illegal here, but if there is some legal standing here, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take that stance. I'm going to get my money. I have other people that are on the exact end of the spectrum. Hey, I want everything to be squeaky clean, 100% above board, and I do not want anything to worry about. For those people, I say, hey, if you got the revenue decline, great, go for it. If you don't have the revenue decline, then you probably aren't going to feel comfortable with this credit. But realistically, to kind of wrap all this stuff up here, just be careful what you're doing. You have kind of all of the information at your disposal and no two businesses are going to be the same. You have two shops that are side by side on the same street. Realistically, one of those shops could qualify. One of those shops maybe does not qualify. But there's a lot more that has to be going into this. Do your research on this. Make sure that you kind of understand exactly what it is that you're signing up for. 
make sure you kind of understand the incentives of what some of these businesses, you know, stand to gain by you taking this position and make sure that you're comfortable with it. You know, like I said, we do the revenue decline side of it. We do not do the other. I still have had a lot of my shops take it, right? I've sat down, I've had this exact same conversation with them where I said, hey, here's the backup behind it. Here's the tax law on it. Here's my thoughts on it. And I'm not saying no, I'm not saying yes on it. I'm giving you all the facts. And I tell people, I'm not going to be mad if you go and take this credit. I know what you stand to gain on it. I know the risk on it. And like I said, the risks are probably not exponentially high. It's a pretty low risk. If you're comfortable with it, I'm comfortable with it. Overall, my job as an accountant, my job as a professional is to give my clients and give shop owners the information that they need to make an educated decision on their own. You're adults. You can pick what you want to do with your business, but just make sure that you know all the facts on this. Hopefully that was helpful. You know, hopefully this kind of got into some areas that, you know, a lot of people don't understand and are not talked about. You know, this is not something where it's a gold rush where every single person listening qualifies to this credit. I don't think that's the case whatsoever. And on the exact opposite to Anne, this is not completely made up. This is not something that if you do, you're automatically going to get audited. And even if you do get audited, there's a chance that it could stand up for your specific business. And worst case scenario, if you do get audited and the IRS throws this out, you're not going to end up in jail. You're not doing anything illegal here. You've took a tax position that they might not agree with, and you're probably going to have to pay that tax credit money back. So I've been telling a lot of people, hey, if you are concerned about this and you still do want to take this, take the credit get the money and stick the money into a bank account and wait until we kind of said the dust has settled and you're probably in the clear. You know, the last thing is that I want to see is a client taking this, going around, spending all that money. 12 months down the road, the IRS knocks on the door, throws out this credit, and now you don't have the money to pay that back. So just something to think about there. I think that's enough kind of tax law and tax talk for one week. But like always, I hope this was helpful for you. If you think this is helpful for a friend, fellow shop owner, fellow business owner, I would love if you could share this with them. You know, what we're trying to do is try trying to educate people, trying to make sure that you have all the information, you know, to be able to make an educated decision here. Um, any questions about anything, uh, you can always shoot me an email, podcast at parmelis.com. And just want to thank you again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listing app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.